0: This is a podcast about failure. With me, Lola Berry, author, nutritionist, and yoga teacher. Join me as we get to know these guests and learn about how their failures have ultimately shaped their dreams. Welcome to Fearlessly Failing with Lola Berry. welcome part two david gillespie so you loved episode one we learned loads about health we learn about the brain we learn about taming toxic people we're going to carry on that conversation so we'll be still talking about psychopaths so fascinating i literally could just sit with him and talk for hours and hours and hours on end But we have a podcast to produce, right? So in this episode, we really talk about his brand new book, Brain Reset. Think addiction, anxiety, depression, and the role that uncertainty plays in that. But we really get into the nitty gritty. We're talking dopamine. We're talking GABA. If you want to learn loads about your brain, this is the episode for you. Big love. Part two, David Gillespie. Welcome back. I'm back. (laughs) (laughs) I was just saying to David, uh, I could talk all day about (laughs) psychopathy and psychopaths. Okay, so back to the character traits. We've got charming, we've got self-obsessed, fluent liars.
1: Yes. Uh, So uh, lying is usually difficult for most humans. Uh, Not that they can't do it, but just that it causes emotional turmoil to do it because they know they're telling something that, that isn't true. And that's why that's how lie detectors work mm-hmm. is they pick up on the body responding to that emotional turmoil, the stress characteristics and so on. Uh, psychopaths have no qualms lying um, because they don't perceive it as a lie. Uh, they perceive it as something that is necessary to be said mm-hmm. um, to get you to do something. Uh, and so what if it's not true? Uh, you know, in their view, truth is in the eye of the beholder. Um, mm. For their, pers- from their perspective, truth is whatever is necessary. Uh, and so we saw it a lot with uh, you know the likes of Donald Trump. You know, he yeah. he, it's, he, um, he did that all the time. He was constantly lying. I I don't know the count at the end of his presidency, but there were hundreds of lies a day that were being counted by the newspapers. And for him, he would say, "Well, so yeah."
0: <laughs> Oh, no, he was fascinating, so fascinating yeah. to, to watch because, uh, yeah, he'd get caught out and not care. Like well, it was very fascinating.
1: It doesn't matter. And, and most psychopaths feel that way. That's why they, they don't experience fear in the sense of fear of consequences. Yes. Um, so they have no fear of con- You can't threaten a psychopath um, because they don't care what you might do. They only care what you are doing. Mm. So if if you make a threat towards a psychopath, they will believe you when you do it. Uh, otherwise you're wasting your breath.
0: Wow. Oh, this is so interesting. <laughs> There's a wonderful book. I don't know if you know this. I train in acting mm. and uh, we got told to read a book called Mind Hunter mm. which was written in the 70s by a detective that interviewed serial killers right. and it was an aim to figure out human behaviour. Yeah, and. Yeah. Why kills would go back to victims' bodies and things like that because it was often like sex was intertwined with the reward of the murder. It was anyway yeah. fascinating, and the way that you talk about like this fearlessness and and. Um, uh, it's all about, are you playing along with it? Like, it's all control and yeah. manipulation and. Absolutely. Just just fascinating. Well, they,
1: they, their view of other humans, they know they're different. They yeah. might not have a label for it, but they yeah. know they're different. Yeah. So they know that from the very earliest reactions where they don't feel things that clearly affect other people. Yeah. Um, so, but their view of other humans is that. They have a weakness, which is all this emotional stuff, mm. um, and they care about other humans, and that's a very big weakness as far as they're concerned. And from their perspective, that's just a leverage point. Um, yeah. So it's uh, to them, humans are just a herd of farm animals to be used, you know, however they see fit.
0: Mm. Can we quickly talk spindle neurons? Because yes. I love spindle neurons. Yes. I. Have a weird love of orca whales. They're my favourite animals <laughs> in the world, and they have more spindle neurons than most other the creatures. than most other
1: creatures. But still, not even in the same country as humans.
0: Well, they stick with their family, I think, whereas we they can do. interact with
1: strangers. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. elephants and whales um, have amongst the most dense spindle neurons for anything other than humans. Mm. So spindle neurons are very, very long neurons that connect our amygdala Mm -hmm. um, to our frontal cortex, Mm -hmm. which is our upper order control center, the bit that's developed during teen years. Um, So this is where we get impulse control, behavior management, all that sort of stuff. Mm. So these are the neurons that connect them. And There's a thing that's measured called spindle neuron density, which is how many of them there are connecting the the two. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's a normal level of them and there's a a thinned out level of them, which is what what psychopaths have, and then there's a too thick Uh, level of them. So there's a strong association with having too many of them uh, with uh, things like depression and so on, which is that you feel too much.
0: Oversensitive. Yes.
1: um, So you feel too much. Uh, And psychopaths feel too little because they have so few spinal neurons. Now, in the animal kingdom, as you were saying before, um, uh, up until about the age of four, humans are a I don't know, talented possessor of spinal neurons, but not exceptional. Um, they're
0: baby psychopaths, They're right? baby psychopaths. So, <laughs> you yeah.
1: um, yeah, animals are probably psychopaths. So the tiger I describe in the start of the book is a psychopath. He, he doesn't care what you think of him, uh, doesn't care how you feel, doesn't care how you feel about being eaten. Uh, mm-hmm. These are all irrelevant considerations, the same as you might have about mowing the lawn. You don't care about the feelings of the grass. Um, so that's how animals, the animal kingdom in general feels worse, even elephants and whales. Um, but they do have slightly more spinal neurons than most animals. Um, so they can, as you say, work together in groups of families and they and still so mourn
0: on. when people die. Absolutely. Like, this so, is my obsession with orcas, though. We could do a whole podcast.
1: <laughs> um, but and, and a baby human up to about the age of four yeah. is in the same category. So spinal neurons are not... Developed prior to birth, um, they're developed after birth. So uh, the density increases fairly significantly in humans, although only after the age of four. So, up to the age of four, children are essentially psychopaths. Now, anyone who's ever had anything to do with a baby would agree with me wholeheartedly. Um, yeah. They have no care about your feelings, they have their needs and they need to be met. They <laughs>
0: mean, me, <laughs> That's me. right, exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and so you say that to a, a room full of parents, they all agree absolutely wholeheartedly. Yeah. Um, and that's the same thing. Now, around the age of four, humans have a massive change in their brain to architecture which starts to seriously increase the number of spindle neurons and the density of them in most of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we go off the planet, like we go off the scale in terms of the, you know, all the other animals are just way down the bottom of the chart and there's humans massively above them. And that's what happens from four onwards, mm-hmm. except for psychopaths. Psychopaths stay exactly the same... As the four-year-old, mm. so from then on, they're different to everybody else in that they don't have the architecture which delivers empathy. Now, spindle neurons are interesting because they are they are they appear in other animals, but they're used for different things. This is something that human evolution has adapted for working in groups, which is the empathy bit. Um, so. Other animals have them, but they use them for things like much better senses of smell or much better senses of hearing or much better eyesight because these things are great at discerning things, much, much fine fine grades of things. What humans have adapted them for is discerning emotion.
0: And that's why, like, dogs can smell fear. That's right. And we can't.
1: Yeah. Well, they lots of animals have much better sensory powers than we do
0: yeah.
1: um, because they haven't adapted spinal neurons for something else. They've adapted them for something that helps them survive. The thing that helps humans survive is working together. I mean, think about it. As an apex predator, we're a pretty crap apex predator. We
0: don't uh, get teeth. No No, no teeth, teeth, sharp teeth. No claws, venom. Yeah. No armor.
1: No, no, I mean, a crocodile could take us one-on-one easy.
0: Yeah. Um, and
1: yet we own the planet. Um, why? Because we work well with strangers. Yeah. Uh, because we can do that, we win. And the thing that allows us to do that is being on
0: So at that four, uh, at the age of four, yep. when empaths become humans yes. and empaths and psychopaths basically stay at that level. That's right. Yeah. Is that just a uh, biological luck of the draw, or can it be something's happened at that age? We have
1: absolutely no okay. idea. We know it happens. Yeah. But the science at the moment cannot tell you why. Mm. Why does it happen for some people? and not for others. Why does 80% of the population develop spindle neurons and empathy and 20% don't? So 20% of the
0: population is It's about
1: psychopath. 20%. Wow. I mean, this is hard to measure, but that's the current estimate.
0: And no um, one's going to admit it, are they? Well, no one yeah. will admit
1: it, ever. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, there, there there are probably many what, what people would call pro-social psychopaths, which are people who know they are psychopathic um, but are self-aware enough to say, you know what, I don't want to do I don't want to have disregard for other humans. I just want to be a normal person. And those people you'll never detect. Mm. Um, so it's... Wow. Yeah. It, it, whereas there are some who say, you know what, I don't care. Um, I can get some advantage by manipulating this human or using this human. Yeah. So why not?
0: So this is the bit that got me and because I work in the entertainment industry and I've just started studying acting. The grounds
1: are pretty thick on the, the psychopaths are pretty thick on the ground there.
0: Right, but also (laughs) I've just started studying acting because I'm like, oh, creative, following this passion. Then I read that this list of the jobs, so CEO, lawyer, well, we've got a lawyer in the room, entertainment, we both work in the entertainment industry. Surgeon's really interesting versus mm. a doctor who's not, a GP who's not.
1: The interesting thing there is that if you think about the job of a surgeon, um, they've got to intentionally harm another human, uh, cut them. To get yeah. a result, <laughs> yeah. You know, that's their job. If That's hard for a normal human to do, mm. to intentionally hurt another human being, even, even with the best of motivations. Mm. You're still intentionally hurting them. And so you do need that normal breaking system that would stop you doing that dulled a bit, which is probably, I suspect, why you see such high percentages in surgeons.
0: Politicians, actors. Yeah. Well, I was like, wow. Well,
1: you think about something, both of these, those things are about manipulating people's emotions. Right. Um, what, what was it, that saying? I don't know who said it, but that uh, politics is uh, acting for ugly people. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So good. Um,
1: they're both about manipulating other people, and and psychopaths are extremely good at that because they have to spend their whole lives accurately reading other people, or else they're done for.
0: This is where I get. Uh, so part of me goes, if I feel like I'm confronted by a psychopath, I'm like, oh, first of all, I'm like, oh, they can't do that to me. I'm mm-hmm. going to confront them. I'm going to call them out on their BS. You yeah. know probably the worst thing that you could do.
1: You're best to actively disengage from them. You just don't want to get tangled up with them. And if you get a choice not to be, then don't uh, is the easy answer. And if you don't have a choice, brick wall, absolute brick wall the whole time. Show them no, give them no sense that anything they've done or said is getting an emotional reaction from Mm.
0: you. Oh, wow. That's easier (laughs) said than done. I love there's this bit where you just literally talk about facing a psychopath in the workplace, and you're like, number one, don't hire them. Yes. <laughs> number two, be alert in yeah. their presence because you're being manipulated, chances yes. are. Uh, three, psychopath pro- psychopath-proof your organisation. And often you say that's with transparency and honesty. Uh, yep, yeah,
1: absolutely. Do everything in the open. No secret meetings.
0: I love this quote that you found from Dan Jacobs of Apple Inc. It's better to have a hole in your team than an asshole in your team. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely love it. I also did the "Am I a Replicant?" test from Blade Oh yes, Rider. yes, yes. <laughs> I got twenty one percent. Does that mean that's
1: pretty low, right? Uh, it does seem pretty low. Yeah, yeah. Good, good, good. <laughs> so, probably not a replicant.
0: <laughs> I Well, as I was, well, so people listening, replicants are like humans but don't have empathy, is that's that right?
1: That's right. So, replicant in Blade Runner, replicants are basically psychopaths. They look and behave like humans in every respect, except they have no empathy. And so, in the movie, they have a machine that they point at the, the replicant's eyes uh, and then they ask them a series of questions which should create an emotional response. And if it doesn't, then they judge it to be a replicant.
0: Wow. Okay, so I'm not one. We can (laughs) safely say that. (laughs) They Uh, did
1: do the replicant test on uh, some candidates for office in Los Angeles, I think. Uh, And uh, I think that they found a very high percentage of them would have failed the replicant test.
0: (laughs) Of course. Of (laughs) course. Okay, so the only thing that got like stumped me a little bit is as I was reading the bit about narcissism, and I was like, well, I've got a few of these traits. Like I've got a social media account. I put but up selfies. N-
1: narcissism <laughs> is not. It's often they're often called narcissists, but you can be a narcissist and not be a psychopath. Yeah. But you can't be a psychopath and not be a narcissist. Correct. Um, so yeah. that's where the the difference is. It, you know, there's plenty of people who really like themselves. That um, <laughs> doesn't make them psychopaths. Yeah. Um, And, you know, and in particularly in an age where you're encouraged to like yourself and promote yourself all the time, even if you're not a narcissist, you'll look like one. Um, And
0: that need for validation outside of yourself and adoration. It's so, so interesting. Okay, as you can tell, everyone listening to this, I am obsessed with this book. (laughs) David, you can see how, like, I've got highlighted notes. (laughs) I'm quite a nerd over here. Which brings me to my next nerding out book. Yes. Uh, I pestered and pestered your publicist for an advance. I think copy you have this. maybe the
1: first one in Australia. There, I'd say.
0: <laughs> Honestly, I was I was literally writing like I reckon every few days. Be like, hey, where's my copy? I need to get it read. Um, really, really cool. So for people listening, it's officially out now. It's called The Brain Reset: Break the Cycle of Anxiety, Depression, Stress, and Addiction and restore mental calm and stability. You got me. Uh, sign me up because I think everybody can relate to this in some way. I'm really excited to talk about addiction mm. and how we are all, I'm um, holding my phone in one yes. hand as, as I um, say this to you. Uh, I'm a science and brain nerd too, so I just love everything you go into <laughs> in this book. I was like, what's Delta B? Ah, Like, yes. I love it all. So just... Go for it. Give me a taste
1: well, to this book. The, the the key thing is, in fact, that, is Delta FOS B, uh, which is a switch in our brain that helps our brain adapt to a high dopamine environment. So let's talk about what dopamine is and why it matters. Do- as I said to you before with teen brain, dopamine gets us on edge. It's what makes us move. If it weren't for dopamine... We could have a beautiful meal. We could be starving to death. Have a beautiful meal on the other side of our table from us, and we wouldn't be bothered to even lift our hand and and access and try to eat it. That's dopamine makes us do that. It motivates us. It says, "Okay, muscles, sharpen up. Okay, brain, sharpen up. Uh, get your act together. We need to get this thing." And and, and that's. What it does, dopamine motivates us. Uh, it puts us on edge. It shuts down a lot of unnecessary things um, uh, like our immune system and, and so on and, and gets us targeted on that reward, get that reward, which is can be, you know, the things essential for survival like food, uh, sex, uh, and socialising with other humans because, as we've discussed before, if you don't do that, you won't last very long. Uh, so uh, that produces a dopamine spike, and that's all good. That's all by design. If we didn't do it, we wouldn't survive. Um Now, other things produce dopamine spikes too, which is because the body's kind of lazy and gets a lot of use out of various hormones, it uses exactly the same thing for danger. So when there's a threat uh, approaching, we get a dopamine spike to sharpen us up. Uh, You know, right muscles sharpen up, brain sharpen up, legs moving fast, now get out of here. Dopamine's doing that too. So it can motivate us towards reward and away from danger. Same thing all uh, working by design. It's also a powerful way to learn. It's the way we learn best, which is it engraves the learning in our brain. So when we touch that hot saucepan, when we're two years old, we will never do it again. Yeah,
0: uh, haven't you said something like if we learn something in a lecture, we retain like yeah. 5% or something, but by doing, doing it, it yes. 75 yeah. and then if you actually have to show someone something, That's right. it's it like 90 is,
1: Exactly, yeah, because so, yeah. that means you've remembered it and able to communicate. Yeah. Um, but, but so dopamine is part of our learning system, it's part of our reward system, it's part of our fear system. And it all works perfectly fine as long as we don't mess with it. Now, the way it works is that it's it's comparing the required dopamine level to a preset value, which is tel- delta fosb B. Now, delta Fos B is just preset and it's based on our environment, which is you know, you're going to encounter something that produces dopamine six times a day. So, delta phos B is set at level six. Um, you're going to encounter it two times a day. So it's set at level two for you. So it's to, to make sure that you're, you're not overreacting to things and or underreacting to things. It's set to the expected level in your environment. And now what addiction does is mess with that because when we expose ourselves to repeated high-frequency hits of dopamine, um, so this is not the kind of thing you could do in real life. You couldn't have sex enough in a day to make a difference to mm. this, but you could watch porn enough in a day mm. to make a difference to this. You couldn't risk your life enough in a day to make a difference, but you could play a game that simulated mm. risking your life every 10 minutes and that would make a difference. Um, so it's frequency. Uh, as you dial up the frequency of dopamine hits, then that delta phos switch starts to switch, it starts to go up and up and up and up. It says, oh, okay, we're in an environment where we're going to get a lot of dopamine mm. all the time. We're going to risk our lives every 10 minutes all day long. Therefore, we're getting, instead of six hits a day, we're getting 10,000 hits a day. Uh, So that has to be dialed right up. So the switch dials up and that's a perfectly normal reaction. The body's just saying, okay, fair enough. We're obviously in an environment where we get a lot of dopamine hits. Mm. Um, And that's all good. Now, that switch is a relatively long-lived switch for things in humans in that it takes about three months to decay back down to yeah. the normal. So every time you give it a hit up, it's like a ratchet. It goes up and it will slowly decay back down. So say that all started happening. You got huge numbers of dopamine hits for whatever reason, you went on a hunt or something and you were risking your life every five minutes. And, and so you'd have to be up on the edge all the time. Um, it would adjust up. But then you went back to normal life. After three months, it would all be back down. It would have adjusted to the normal yeah. environment. Everything would be okay. What we do with addiction is we mess with that by artificially increasing the number of dopamine hits, by interacting with apps that do that, mm-hmm. uh, by taking drugs that do that. They all, the Stimulant drugs do exactly the same thing. Cocaine will give you a dopamine hit. Mm-hmm. Um, cigarettes will give you a dopamine hit. Alcohol, Coffee? give you. Uh, not so much.
0: Coffee's yes. okay.
1: Uh, yes, but not much. So it, you're making me
0: feel not too guilty about my morning ca- coffees. Uh, well, I
1: have plenty of morning coffees. <laughs> I do talk about caffeine in the book. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it, it's very, very mild. Uh, it's it's not even on the same scale. Yeah. Um, and, and while people say they're addicted to caffeine, and some people probably show signs of it in that if they don't get it, they have withdrawal symptoms. You get a headache. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's mild. It, it really is mild. Uh, and... Uh, doesn't have any known bad side effects other than the headache. Um, So, uh, but I do go through in a lot of detail, as you will now know, (laughs) um, uh, all the things that can give you a dopamine hit and the degree to which they can or can't. Um, So what's really addictive, what's not, uh, and, and so talk about all of those things. But at the end of the day, what it comes down to is when you push that switch up, when you are not getting the dopamine hit, your dopamine level is too low because remember that what that switch is doing is telling you what's a normal level of dopamine mm-hmm. and when dopamine is too low then you are in a state uh, of craving so the body says i need to get that do- i need to get the dopamine level up to where the dlfos b says it should be yeah. and you're in a state of craving and that state of craving is about producing more and more dopamine mm-hmm. making you more and more anxious about the fact that you are not receiving that hit um, so
0: is this where the sugar story... Yeah,
1: so this is where it overlaps with sugar, yeah. is sugar has this effect. Um, much more
0: than caffeine, right? I much mean, more I mean, than yeah. caffeine, yes. You're making me feel good about my coffees, can you tell? As long as you don't
1: put sugar in the coffee, we yeah. are fine. Um, so... Uh, What I go through in in a lot of detail in this book uh, is how does that mechanism exactly work? Mm. So what is going on that turns addiction into anxiety and then if the anxiety is left there for long enough into depression Depression. Um, and then if that's left there long enough into schizophrenia, well, into psychosis and then schizophrenia. Yeah. Um, So that's what that part... That path is about, and it's and in this book, I go through it in a lot of detail. I won't bore your listeners no, with it. They can read it if know. if they want to, but we've known for a long time there's nothing controversial about saying addiction leads to anxiety leads to depression, leads yeah. to suicide. um but here we go through why,
0: yeah, and that's stuff all my hi- all my highlights <laughs> yeah. are all around, yeah, especially around the connection between anxiety and depression because, as you said, at the beginning of our chat,, uh, in te- even teenage brains, there's such a prevalence of it right mm. now, and even for me, for years I would never have said I get anxiety ever.
1: And then, the, and in the last year, we've just ramped it massively oh, yeah, of because course. I've talked about the addiction side of this, but the other side of this is the uncertainty side. Yes. Um, so, uh, the more uncertain your life is, the more on edge you are at all times. Now, yeah. there's lots of ways to make your life uncertain. Uh, not have enough money is the principal way. Uh, yeah. So that. That uncertainty factor puts us the other side of the equation, which, remember, dopamine is also produced by fear or by running away from danger. Well, that works just as effectively as addiction. So whether you're addicted or whether you're living in an uncertain and precarious environment, no stable housing, no income, or in fear of a virus, then that is the same effect as being addicted. Worse, the brain doesn't know the difference. So it sets the Delta-Fos-B switch regardless whether it's caused by uncertainty, whether it's caused by addiction, and means that it's much easier to take an uncertain person and addict them, and it's much easier to cause chaos in the life of a person who's an addict.
0: I love that you've brought up the last year because mm. there's a podcast I listen to called The Armchair Expert with an actor in America called Dak Shepard, and he had a singer called Macklemore on recently. Mm. You would definitely know the songs, or your kids yeah. would be huge. Yeah, 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 and both of them relapsed with their addictions over COVID yeah. and over lockdown. Yeah. And um, one went to opioids, and the other opioids first, and the other went to.
1: And that's a natural consequence of yeah. the uncertainty. Would have been increasing the delta fosb levels, which makes them easier to addict. Um, so, you know, it's a natural flow from uncertainty and a precariousness of life. Uh, will put you into a state where you're much easier to addict. Mm, Oh, scary.
0: So scary. Well, you know,
1: the interesting thing is not so much when you know how it works. Yes. What makes it scary is when it's like the random sniper, you know, anyone could be killed at any time or something, but when and this is why police always go to the trouble in, in when they report something that bad has happened of saying it was known to the victim. The reason they say that is so people aren't terrified of this could happen to anyone at any time. And it's the same with this. Yeah. The story that's put out there about a lot of mental illnesses, it could happen to any of us at any time. Beware. Um, and what I found reassuring about this research is once you know what the mechanism looks like and how it works and how to stop it working like that, you you, you yeah. have a lot more certainty in your own yeah. life.
0: Totally. And I love that it's like acknowledgement is the first kind of like yeah. power and you talk about that as well.
1: Absolutely. You have to you have to realise it. And a lot of people can when they're asked to.
0: Yeah. A
1: lot of people will happily do an addictive behaviour without thinking about it too much. Yeah. Um, but then if they step back from themselves and look at themselves and say, well, I really am spending a lot of time doing that.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Um, yeah.
1: And uh, maybe I should stop. And then when they try to stop and realise that they can't, that's when the realisation often sets in that says, oh, wow, this is something that's actually outside my control. I thought I could stop but I can't.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: So that's the point where you need to really understand how it works and how to stop it.
0: Oh, I love it. I remember um, I've worked for many years on my mental health. I'm very passionate about it. And I remember I did a speaking gig and I didn't want to do it, didn't feel right, mm. and I kind of got taken for a ride. I got taken a bit of advantage of it on the gig. And I remember um, I got off stage and I thought I was having a heart attack and mm. I was starting to panic and my palms were sweaty. Mm. And I got, got through it, got home. On the way home, I binge ate. Like I went and bought right. sugar and stuff and I saw my therapist the next day and I was like... <gasps> What just happened to me? he goes, well, first of all, you've had a panic attack, mm-hmm. had probably your first anxiety or panic attack, and he's like, and then you've turned to your coping mechanism when you feel like you're in a state of anxiety, which and, is and, eating.
1: And it is a coping mechanism and it works um, because what happens is that you need, remember I said that the delta phosphate is too high, the dopamine is too yeah. low. Your body knows how to get that dopamine up. Eat something addictive. Yeah. Consume something. This is why smokers smoke. Stress, smoking. Yeah. Smoking is a cure to stress, a short term cure for the for the smoker because they do get the dopamine level up to the level that Delta Fos B says it should be. The trouble is, doing that pushes Delta Fos B even higher for next time.
0: And for longer, this That's is the right. thing that I loved reading about Delta Fos B because until I read this, mm. I had no idea. Mm. Delta, I think Delta it's, Goodrum.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, look, it, this is the thing about a lot of the research in this book. It's very recent. Yeah. Uh, it, because the profession is going through a transition from symptom-based knowledge about how human brains and mental health work through to what I would call uh, neurochemical-based, which is a real understanding of the factors in the brain Mm. that drive certain things.
0: Would this be an example of Delta FOS B staying high in my system? I skydived. Mm -hmm. I was so scared in the lead-up. Did it. Mm. I'm telling you I was on a high Mm. for two to three weeks, like full-blown. I could achieve anything. I was waking up (laughs) earlier. Yeah. I... And I, and I was thinking, as I was thinking about it, I was like, oh, my God, that must have been. But
1: that's part of the power. And this is where we get to the bit at the end of the book, which is about, well, what do you do about it? Yes. Um, and because it's all well and good scaring the crap out of people, but if you can't tell them why, yeah. what to do about it, there's no point. Um, and this is where you come to, okay, what all those things that you talked about, like the skydiving or going for a run, mm-hmm. um, they actually naturally increase dopamine levels. Yeah. So they help you cope with the fact that your delta Fos B is too high. By bringing dopamine up naturally, mm. now I'm not all herbal gerbil and saying natural is better, <laughs> I'm simply saying slower is the key here. It yeah. brings it up slower, less frequently. It's not as good as just going and hitting up a stimulant or playing your favourite computer game, but it's the way of bringing yourself back down off it. It's the nicotine patch of... Uh, you know, this sort of thing, which is, okay, so what are the natural ways that you yeah. could do that? Yeah. Well, skydiving is one of them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I right. wouldn't do that, but you could do that. <laughs> um, the uh, Things that require you to focus. In order to focus, you need high dopamine levels. Mm. Um, so things that you can do that that you know make you focus. So uh, it might be a hobby. Uh, you
0: podcasting. Know, uh, it podcasting. <laughs>
1: something that makes you really intensely focused, that you know you can't have other things in your brain while you're doing that. Mm-hmm. You, you you really just focus on that thing. So hobbies, uh, solving hard problems, mm-hmm. uh, understanding hard texts or documents or books or something like that, just something that you know. This will be different for every person. Something that you know that when you're doing that, everything else it
0: goes, is, away. It goes yeah. away.
1: Because in order to do that, you have to produce high levels of dopamine. Another thing that you can use, particularly if you're female, um, is groups, getting groups of people. Remember that I said before, yeah. the thing that social media emulates to produce addiction is, is in fact a real-life thing, which is meeting groups of people, doing things they like and having them tell you that they like it. Um, so
0: <laughs> I've got here written oxytocin equals social connection and trust as that's well. Right. So, yeah. you, so that's a natural way of feeling yeah. that sense of human which connection. Which is why,
1: and I look through this you know, when I look at all the 12-step programs, um, yeah. which are the only things, by the way, that appear to work in breaking wow. addictions, um, is one of their core things, in fact the principal thing, is you have to meet in a group with real people mm-hmm. who are experiencing the same thing as you once a week. It is high-frequency meeting with groups. And that, that, I believe, the science justifies, is a critical component of why those systems work.
0: What about relapse? Because both they mention relapse in yeah. those steps as well.
1: Uh, there's a high probability of relapse. Mm. I mean, some of the probabilities are extraordinarily high. I mm. go through some of the stats for various things. Yeah. Um, but uh, high probability. And what you've got to say about relapse is don't consider that that's the end of the story. Mm. It just it happens. You just do it again. Mm. Um, don't consider, as, as many addicts do uh, when they relapse, they consider that a good excuse to just not bother anymore and be able to fall back into that thing that they wanted to do anyway, that the addiction is driving them to do. Mm. Um, You've got to maintain the rage, if you like, and just start again. And every time you do, you're one step closer to successfully breaking the addiction.
0: And I've heard you say with even sugar addiction, just yeah. start today. Yeah. like don't read the book and be like, oh. Uh, I'll finish." <laughs> I'll just
1: eat this bar of chocolate first.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, in I did see in one of the yeah. twelve st- in one of the um, guides that you've got yeah. in here, like they do ha- have one last go at it as well. And I was they, like, they oh actually, my God.
1: yeah. That now that one is the uh, the a- British yeah. uh, the Ellen Carr one, the British yeah. one, which which has a meeting, a very long meeting in person, and they let the people smoke all the way through the meeting. Um, and then they say at the end of the meeting you are going to have your last cigarette. This this meeting is your last cigarette, okay? This is it. It starts now. And there's no better time to start than now.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. I love it. So for people listening that are like, okay, uh, listening to David today, I know I've got an addiction. This has made me kind yep. of see it whether it be sugar. Like up mm-hmm. until last night I was like, oh, yeah, I'm healthy Yes. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, but every... Fourth or fifth day, I know I want my little treat. Like, yeah. so I would totally have a sugar yeah. addiction going. There's on. the other thing is a
1: lot of people imagine addiction has a sort of a, a nasty connotation. It's sort of a you're a grubby sort of addict, yeah. um, and, and it's not that. It's now addiction is pervasive. It's it's in everybody's pocket. You know, you you have in anyone can pick up their phone now and identify four or five pieces of software that have been written explicitly to addict them. Mm. So it's not that you're you're going out and meeting dubious types in back alleys to get addictive drugs. It's that you can pull it out of your pocket at any minute. And so many people are walking around mildly addicted to a lot of things. And it doesn't... Yes mean that they're not addicts. It doesn't mean that they're not putting their brain in a state of making it more susceptible to anxiety or depression. Mm. In fact, it does mean that, which is why we're seeing the stats on those things grow so enormously quickly. Um, And they are really, really rapidly and not helped by COVID at all. In the United States, for example, anxiety... Uh, sorry, mental health issues went from ten percent of the population to thirty percent of the population yeah. in the space of a year. Yeah, uh, you know, and 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 that is a bad bad place to be because we are not going to like what society looks like when most of us have mental health problems.
0: And Melbourne as well with that really yeah. long extended lockdown
1: and huge growth twenty five percent growth in t- in adolescent uh, anxiety in that period in Melbourne. Wow. So it, it is a and that's caused by the uncertainty side of the equation doing exactly the same thing as addiction and they feed off each other. Uncertainty drives addiction. Addiction drives uncertainty.
0: How do you be okay with uncertainty? Because it's it's a given. Like that's... Well,
1: and I go through that as well is, is look at, okay, well, you've got to look at your life and say, okay, where are the sources of uncertainty? Yeah. What are the things that you can't control everything, uh, but there are things that you can control. So, for example, it could be as simple as saying, well, I get a power bill once a quarter that's $1,000, but they do offer a plan that allows me to pay weekly. Um, So rather than having that random uncertain event that just drops out of the heavens and destroys my budget, um, I can just pay weekly and it's all paid. Uh, And so look for opportunities to increase certainty in your life. And one of the biggest sources of uncertainty in most people's lives is money. Mm.
0: Yeah. So interesting because I'm a risk chaser as well and so I'm like, oh, I've got a lot of uncertainty in my life. (laughs) But I, a part of me likes it, but it's it's also realizing and and as you talked about Melbourne and COVID, yeah. like my boyfriend and I would buy a bottle of wine a couple of times a week. And before that, we would drink once every few months. Yeah, yeah. And I remember I was buying the wine. I was I knew yeah. I was like, oh, I'm enjoying this on a Tuesday night. <laughs> but I heard a lady next to me go, oh my god, it just takes the pressure off. Yeah, and well, it's th- th- that's the lockdown. thing about. I mean,
1: the 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 thing about. All sources of addiction, and this is why uncertainty feeds addiction, is the dopamine hit you get from that wine or from stimulant drug or from mm. software or whatever actually does help. It helps in that moment.
0: moment yeah. uh,
1: it makes the problem worse long term, but in that moment, it really does help. Uh, and that's why people do it. Uh, yeah. So that's why they feed each other. The interesting thing, too, there is that one of the things that does help the brain. Is staying awake. Staying yeah. awake produces more dopamine. Um, mm. So one of the first signs that there's a problem yes. is not being able to sleep. sleep. Yeah,
0: uh, you would have you would love one of my acting teachers. He says that you should know as an actor, no human does anything unless it benefits them in some way. Yeah, even if you're like, well, I know this cigarette's not going to make me. I'm going to feel guilty about it in twenty minutes or yeah. whatever. I, it's going to make me feel better. But immediately
1: it will make me feel better. Correct and yeah. so that's what we
0: make all our and I was and he said go our homework was he goes go and t- find something that a human does that doesn't immediately help help them in some Did way. Did you find anything? No one found anything. <laughs> People initially said smoking, drugs. He's yeah. like no but that brings pleasure, that calms them down and It does. It,
1: it, fascinating, it's fascinating way,
0: yeah. right? Humans are so fascinating. <laughs> okay, so if we can Kind of like... Um,
1: but the, the other thing to remember is it's, it's on auto, it's auto control. Yeah. Um, so the body knows the nicotine hit will help.
0: Yeah. And
1: even though our frontal cortex, the supervisory part of our brain says, well, oh, this is probably bad for us, I probably shouldn't do this, you'll still pick up the cigarette because the you can only, bar, right? you can only control that stuff for so long.
0: Well, there's the willpower and, yeah. and oh, oh, I could talk to you forever about <laughs> all of this stuff. So basically uncertainty is a given but you can take steps to feel Reduce more it. comfortable
1: yeah.
0: within it like payment plans. Well, you,
1: yeah, you can't, very few people can totally eliminate uncertainty and nor yeah. would you want to. As I said, this system works by design to yeah. cope with uncertainty and to cope with pleasure. Um it's perfectly normal and it works fine it's only when you go to extremes in those things and on the pleasure side of it by running high-speed simulations like gaming and so on yeah. or taking substances which are designed to manipulate it and on the other side by putting yourself in circumstances where you, you are increasing uncertainty mm-hmm. um, so well, a lot of people don't put themselves in circumstance but you know having losing their job or or having housing insecurity are two of the biggest sources of uncertainty uh, you know, for everybody, and mm. particularly in Australia.
0: Oh, so interesting, my friend. I could talk to you all, all day. <laughs> uh, one final thing, if someone listening to this is like, okay, I want to make a change today. We've gone through about four or five different yeah, books yeah, yeah. today, I yeah. know. Um, what's something that they can do that is free to do for themselves they can just, like, start to feel probably a little bit more Maybe less addicted to whatever it is. Where everyone listening to this would be in some way. I would say ninety percent people are probably going to have some kind of sugar addiction or booze.
1: So if it's if it's a if it's a if it's a software. So let's say let's take an example. It's a hard example. Let's say it's that you're addicted to social media. Yeah. Um, that you you Guilty. find yourself. Yeah. Doom scrolling three or four hours a day. Uh, so is doom the regular, scrolling
0: when you're just like just
1: scrolling all, just endlessly, just scrolling, just just yeah. in the hope that you'll see something interesting. Uh, and you do every now and then see something interesting, uh, or else it Don't wouldn't be work. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. So um, let's say you you say you know I am spending a lot of time doing that. Mm-hmm. You, um, stop is mm-hmm. the first thing to do. Yeah. Stop now. If that's easy you weren't addicted, okay, Um, and you can safely pick it up, okay? But if it's not easy, if you can't put it aside and not do that for, say, a week, Mm. not touch it for Mm. a week, then there is a problem. And that's the first step, recognising that there is a problem and what it is. And then what you've got to do is do something about it. So the first thing to do about it is obviously not do it. Yeah. um, But you also probably need to substitute something else. So something else that's going to give you a level of dopamine without... Uh, that, uh, the and that's addictive that's you were level. saying,
0: the natural... That's
1: right. So the something else that's most equivalent to using social media is meeting real people in yeah. real life. Um, yeah. So try to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Organise to actually meet real people in real life. Yeah. Um, by the way, I talk about... It's sort of, I would say, the more harmless end of social media—not not not that it's harmless, but sort of the everyday end, like Instagram, Facebook, and so on. But there's the really dangerous end of social media as well, which isn't really called social media, which is dating apps, uh, which is sort of like yeah. the the illegitimate child of porn and social media, uh, which is it's got sex for the men and it's got socialization for the women, and that's the really dangerous ends of things as well. And a lot of people would say, "Yeah, I might spend three or four hours flipping through that," yeah. but that that can put you into immediately dangerous physical situations. So there's that as well. Off track off track a bit, but coming back to the example. You no, know I'm so
0: glad. You, can I say I'm so yeah. glad you mentioned that because I did dating apps for a little while about four years ago. I met my boyfriend on one. Yeah. But we were each other's first match and first date. Yeah. But before I had it, um, I was like, I think I did it for like one week and didn't never met up with anybody. And I was like, oh, this is just taking every night away for like, yeah. it's horrible. Like yeah. And it just, zap, you're sucked in. Yeah. You're, and when you talk about, like, social interaction can make you feel, I would be getting a bit socially anxious and not want to be around real-life people because yeah. that felt a bit too But oddly,
1: the cure to that is to be around real-life yeah. people. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's the
1: same with all yeah. phobias and anxieties, yeah. which is often the cure to it is to do it.
0: Exposure therapy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, because in doing that, the brain is adjusting the le- – so anxiety is a, is a maladjustment of the level of threat. Yeah. So the, what, what you're doing is you're overestimating the threat from the situation. Yeah. Uh, and the best way to get the body to properly estimate the threat from the situation is to actually do it. Yeah. Um, and then the body says, oh, okay, I've got to recalibrate that. That was wrong. Um, <sighs> so so cool.
0: Yeah. I love it. My, I don't want to keep going about my boyfriend, but he's scared of flying and yeah. we flew together last week. Yeah. And I was like, dude, you did good. He's not dead. It's not, but yeah, and that's and my um, therapist talks about anxiety being a fear worse than death. Like when you're in it, you're like, "Oh my god!" But it's
1: it's it's really. I talk about this a fair bit in the book, which is looking at that calibration thing, which is how we know now a lot about how that calibration works, Uh, and so you know the the loss calculator involved in this and and how it works and how to change it is is really quite interesting.
0: (laughs) I love that we can change it, though. I love that you can recalibrate it by. Going, putting yourself in that situation and being like, I didn't die. I'm well, working. it's
1: an on-the-fly calculator. It's meant to be like that. It's yeah. meant so that we properly assess our environment based on what's actually happening in the environment, not on what we think might happen in the environment.
0: <sighs> oh, I wish we could hang out all day. <laughs> David Gillespie, A total honour... Uh, the new book, I'm going to put links to the new book, yep. The Brain Reset, out right now. I'm also going to put a link into Free Schools, You're Not-for-Profit, so that people yep, can learn more about it as yep. well. And can we do this again, please? Absolutely. You're the best. <laughs> That's a wrap on another episode of Fearlessly Failing. As always, thank you to our guests. And let's continue the conversation on Instagram. I'm at Yummo Lollaberry. This potty, my word for podcast, is available on all streaming platforms. I'd love it if you could subscribe, rate and comment. And of course, spread the love.